Hello, this is Amy Rivers. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> That's not fair. You laugh at yourself and now you're laughing at me saying hello. I'm sorry. That was just a funny hello. It was just funny. It was funny. I'm sorry. <gasps> Why, Sasha? Sorry, I blew it. Go ahead. Hello, this is Amy Rivers, and this is Eating After Midnight, a podcast where me and my best friend Sasha reheat movies from our childhoods to see if the leftovers have retained their flavor or leave a bad taste in our mouths. It's also about how these movies influenced, inspired, and shaped us, whether the ideas they cooked up and fed us nourished our bodies and minds or just rotted our teeth and clogged our mental arteries. Sasha and I don't have any real cred as critics, but we do have a genuine love for movies, as well as a beautiful friendship, which spans 25 years. 25 years. <laughs> How old is, is Lost Boys? How old is the Lost Boys now? 87? Yeah. And it's 20, so that's... Do the math. I can't. 40? What? Wait, no, God, I'm so bad at math. Don't shame me out like this on our no, podcast. No, 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 it's 30, it's, it's approximately 30 years, girl. If we were eight, we were, we were nine when it came out. No, this is all getting edited. No one gets to hear that we're ba this fucking bad at math. <laughs> no one gets to hear that we cannot add 13 plus 87 to come up with 100. No one gets to hear that. It's 33 years old. This is a 33-year-old yeah. film. I approximated it. It wasn't bad, but you know. Thou shalt not do math. <laughs> Apparently. Thou not. shalt not do math. So, the Lost Boys. That's what's happening. That's what's for dinner. Happy Halloween month. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot because we're doing this early. Yeah. It's October. I am a very happy October person. I decorate my house every year. And in my town, which is the smallest place in the universe, um, I have the best house in the neighborhood, if you can believe it. I've been told. I believe it. I've I believe told. it. That's awesome. Um, that makes me really happy. I love setting the house up for Halloween. I love Halloween. I do. Love I love dressing up. I love costumes, but I don't like scary things. Yes. So... Sasha does not like scary movies. I love scary movies. Yeah. Sasha really didn't want to do super horror, horror movies. And I kind of forced her into doing the two movies that we're doing this month because it's Halloween and she's just gotta, this is her job now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, really the worst witch is kind of my speed, but that's who <laughs> we are with, with the Lost Boys. I'm down. But you realize though, you watch the Lost Boys now and it's not, scary it, it's got scary elements but it's not scary it's camping. it's not any of the things that i remembered it to be that's the real thing for me like i remember it to be like it was scary and it was edgy and it was kind of gothic and it was sexy because of Kiefer sutherland and all those boys that were in it 
And it was none of those things on this rewatch. It was campy and cheesy and so, so Everything you're saying is true. Actually, I would say there's a difference now in what is edgy because I think initially what was edgy was Keither Sutherland. And I mean, I still love Star's clothes and we're going to get into that. And you know, for Sutherland and his marauding band of Chippendales dancers. <laughs> but then, but now what's super cool and edgy is Corey Haim's oh my wardrobe. God. You know, like you look at his wardrobe and, and Max's house, you're just like, oh my God, look at this guy's house with all of this neon, you know, artwork and things like that. So the things that are edgy and cool when I was young was, yes, it was, it was just how cool Keith or Sutherland was just in general on his motorbike. And how cool bike. the soundtrack was. And the soundtrack. And, and though I still yeah. like, the, I, I still have a couple of hearts for the soundtrack, even though it's ludicrous. I think I remember it being scary when I was young and now it's moved into the campy mm-hmm. area of horror films that I love. You know what I mean? There's a couple when we do get to like the deaths of the vampires and how they die, like I finally, you that, that fun kind of ridiculous goriness comes out and I loved it this time. I used to think it was scary. Now I just love it for just how absolutely fun it is. It's a ride. It's a ride is what it is. Yeah. It's a, it, and I guess what I was trying to tell you, it's, it's, it's a campy scary. fun ride, but I guess I just like, I had the hate before we started recording because I was like, I... I feel like something just got stolen from me. Like this was <laughs> like this was my edgy horror gothic vampire teen flick that just became the cheesiest il garbaggio thing ever. And um yeah, so I was a little bit mad. But at the end of the day, it's still it's still a fun ride. Um, but, but Sasha, you, know, you have to be happy though, because this was our teenage vampire film. And the kids, not of today, but the kids of like five years ago, they got Twilight. They got Twilight and we got this. So thank the stars for that one. I mean, there's some redeeming stuff about Twilight. Okay, we're not even going to get into this uh, right now. I can't, did I just hit your Tyler Perry bone? I don't know I what you did to me, yeah. but it feels, like, it feels like my stomach is now in my throat. I I, yeah, I know yeah. that it's not very uh, cool to put down Twilight, but fuck that stuff's awesome. <laughs> and I watch anything, you know. Like I'm really into corny shit, but that. Oh man! So, The Lost Boys. It's 1987. Richard Donner produced. It's Joel Schumacher directing, and and IMDb. After moving to a new town, two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. Succinct. That works. IMDb, you finally did. Yeah, that's, that's pretty solid, actually. That's, a, that's the best they've ever done. What they don't mention is it's a, you know, two brothers, one's 34 and one's 14. <laughs> <laughs> and their mother she's an ex-hippie which explains why when her life turns upside down and she divorces their their father unexpectedly and decides to move back home to put her life back together that home is in the beachside town of santa clara and her father whom they are going to stay with is some whacked out hippie taxidermist that grows his own weed and has a jeep that plays La Cucaracha for a horn. They go into Santa Clara, and I swear to God when I was younger that it was Santa Cruz. 
and I feel well, like it's actually cheap. shot in it is shot in Santa Cruz. It's supposed to be Santa Cruz. So Santa Cruz really is the murder. It is Santa Clara. What? Santa Cruz really is the murder capital of the world because what? Like you mean in real life? Yes. Yes. What are you talking about right now? I don't want to get into it because this is actually scary. But at a certain point, there was like two or three very famous serial killers that were round and about the Santa Cruz area at the same time. Like I've always known that it was Santa Cruz. And then when I watched it, I was like, Santa Clara? Did they well, yeah, I mean, I always knew it was shot in Santa Cruz and they just called it Santa Clara for the sake of the film, but I'd never heard in my life that Santa Cruz itself was actually, you know, a pit of death. From 1970 to early 73, Santa Cruz was terrorized by two serial killers and one mass murderer turned the sleepy beach town into the murder capital of the world. The Holy. murders were so random, a priest stabbed in a confessional, Four teens killed in a state park, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not reading the rest of it because it's scary as fuck. What? So, it, used, it, so fuck. it is based on a real. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, right now I have, I have the star and the rainbow over my head. The more you know. I have no <laughs> idea. When they get into town, I remember that people are strange, right? I remember because it, it's not Jim Morrison. Yeah, it's, it's um, somebody else. It's somebody covering it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's an especially hip and diverse little beach town. Like there's just like goths and punks and someone kisses a rat, I think. Oh, there's like, like, you have to bring it up. It's so grassy. <laughs> like I love, I, I mean, it's funny because I did watch this with a British friend and she was, she was kind of commenting that it was all these people were cast. And I was like, no, I, Joel Schumacher probably really did kind of go and just ask if he could film people because mm -hmm. it does seem like that. They don't seem like they were costumed freaks. Styled extras. Yeah. yeah it doesn't fe feel like that, but there's lots of good um, characters in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. They roll up into this weird beach town. This is their new home. We also find out real quick, like as they, as they pull up and they, where are they? They stop somewhere in the middle of the town and they're like messing with their stuff. They're not yet at the grandfather's house, right? Because he's like pulling his bike off the back of the truck and is like, oh, are there any jobs going around here? So they're establishing the fact that they're flat broke and that's why they've got to move in with their grandpa. But I don't know why they're messing with all their gear in the middle of town. Anyhow, at that point when they're like kind of milling about the town and you see he's, he's asking for work and stuff and Corey Haim takes Nanook out to uh, to do a pee, I would imagine, or something. But he, we see him and we see that, unlike Mike, who is kind of like the heartthrobby brother, the kind of guy that you would see would be like cast as the, he'd be the romantic interest in an MTV music video. Are you that's, talking about that's really Mike's, Yeah, that's really Mike's style, like, you know, with his like feathered mullet. But we see that he's very different from his younger brother, who is very colorfully clad and looks like by today's <laughs> standards by today's standards a very hip woke as fuck non-gender conforming digital artist all of that stuff and more he's just he's fabulous and in, in, you know, I mean absolutely fabulous at one point you know we're gonna have to talk about his clothes often I feel he like if they out. auctioned if they auctioned off Corey Haim's wardrobe on eBay or something like they would raise so much money for the Democratic Party right now every <laughs> hipster on earth would be like oh my god can I have that Mondrian bathrobe oh my god can I have that long duster 
fucking suit jacket coat that he wears to the comic book store. Oh my god. At one god. point he's wearing like a um he's he's eaten cereal and he's wearing this vest of of sorts that has all these Keith Haring. Yeah. Um yeah. little people on it. Very surprising that to get money they just didn't sell his fucking wardrobe. It's like why don't you do that? Like because those are thousands and thousands right? of dollars in the 80s of oh, clothing. Like, oh my god. He's like he's not it, it almost begs the question, like, did it, was this in Corey Haim's writer where he was like, I get to pick my own clothes. Like, I don't care if it has <laughs> nothing to do with the movie and nothing to do with the character. I get to pick my own clothes. His, like, persona so established at that point that that's what people would expect him to look like. And so they could, like, Fonzie, you know what I mean? Like, they couldn't, yeah, like, uh, switch him up. We're not going to do the- Isn't the that what I called it before? Contempo Casuals Fonzie. Yes, Contempo Casuals <laughs> Fonzie. It's so brilliant. No, Like he's um, so cool, but he's like so pastel and chic. When I was watching with my friend, um, my British friend here, she, she said something interesting. The second she thought, saw Corey Haim, she was like, oh my God, Corey Haim and, and you know, little hearts in her eyes. And then she told me, she's like, you know, when I was younger, he was the star of this movie. And it's, it's funny watching it now because he's hardly in it. He's like a side character and Michael's actually well, that's, the kind of lead. Well, that's what I was saying is like, this is actually two separate movies because Corey Haim, I never had a crush on him as a kid. I never found Nor him. Nor did I. Nor did I. Um, I thought so, he was too boyish. Yeah. And he was, yeah. And because I always thought he was too boyish, he was never the lead of this movie. And that's what I'm saying. Like, it's two movies for me. It starts off as an edgy, older teen budget brat pack drama and then shifts gears and turns into the Goonies towards the end. Yeah. Like that's, that's what happens. So it starts off being more about Michael and his more like adult experience in this, uh, in this town and like trying to fit in and stuff. And, you know, we have them settle into the town. He, he were the, being adult because adult. he's 34 adult. years old. Like Which, he is, he's yes. so much older. He and looks more like he'd be Diane Weiss's inappropriately aged boyfriend yeah, than yeah, Corey Haim's brother. Yeah, he's the pool boy. Just to go back a second, because one of the things that established in the very first scene that I really need to bring up is like we because we that's where we actually meet the Lost Boys, right? We meet Kiefer and his three man crew. Los Los Lost Boys because Los they Lost look Boys. like a band of mariachis. <laughs> Well, all I have to say is the first thing that I noticed in this film was hair, hair, beautiful hair. So oh my much, goodness. So much beautiful hair. It's and it's so hilarious. Like, so like you said, like the things that were edgy and cool then, like they show up. Now, first of all, why is this merry-go-round only having adults on it and only adults who appear to be under the influence of Xanax. Like the merry-go-round is full of people in their 20s with the most checked out gaze on their face. But and it, then it's he, nighttime. It's not daytime. So they're, still, they're, they're writing still, it ironically. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> thank you. So, so yeah, here they come. And like, we're meant to be instantly intimidated and attracted to and in fear of those those lost boys and all i can think of is like these guys are supposed to be scary okay so this band consists of babyface demon Kiefer sutherland like he is just scary in and of, of himself because he's cherubic and demonic at the same time in his face but yeah. then behind him is fabio half of nelson and bill <laughs> dressed up like mariachis 
who's scared of this? And then of course, wherever Kiefer goes, so does a smoke machine. Like the whole <laughs> merry-go-round is in a dream sequence. Uh, I will say though, in, in horror film love, one of the great things this movie does is it does not reveal who they are being vampires until like you don't see vampire face until very late in the film you just get this kind of flight thing and some kind of like oogity boogity oogity boogity they're kind of scary that's really good that's a really good tick for like horror film because you want to build the suspense and i think this film does that where i mean they do overdo the kind of flying through the air yeah, what's and, the, I mean, like, I know vampires are supposed to fly, but given that they actually do swoop down from above to kill and they do that a whole bunch, does that mean that because they're beach vampires that they're like part pelican or seagull? <laughs> Is that seagull. part of their like... And also they fly, right? But they don't transform. So, because they just have fucked up feet. Like if you remember later in the Ooh, film. those brother from another planet feet. <laughs> oh my gosh. When you see the oogity boogity in the first scene, then it kind of doesn't make it scary. Like you don't, you, the anticipation is then. So the, I think they did, you know, a good job of kind of creating this like dizzy flight thing, and then the, the attack, like it, without actually showing the face. That's a very good tick for them. But they do it way too often, and then they do start doing it metaphorically at a certain point. And the, also the other thing that happens in the first scene, it is the first time we hear, Cry, little sister. Cry for your brother. Without saying how many times in total, I have made a note of how many times this song is. Oh, used. please tell me because it's a, it's atrocious. It is they just overuse that track so they overuse it to the point much. of nausea to Le- the point where it starts to become campy and over the top and and ridiculous. Yeah, so basically it, 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 it they use track. it about five times, but then they use it a few other times. But all you'll hear is like. Shall not kill. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, just like as a theme and un, yeah, yeah, just like under it. Yeah, like star will show up and then you'll just see it. And and yeah. again, I I watch with subtitles, so every time it was on, even if I didn't hear it, it would I know you up, could see it like, at the bottom. I, yeah, because I watched damn it. it. They yeah, used that, that song again. Shit again. And I um, like this yeah. song. Like I like I I I really love you know. Yeah, but when you've heard it like five times within a 15-minute period, it starts to feel like it's part of the Guantanamo Christmas album. (laughs) I'll tell you anything. Just stop this goddamn song. Absolutely. So music music plays a huge, huge, huge part of this film. And it's actually the thing that like a lot of people will associate with this movie, aside from like the, the most like signature lines and moments, it's always the soundtrack that they go to next. And the biggest opening scene happens in a moment, but I just want to talk about the first real weird moment that happens between 34-year-old uh, brother Michael and what appears to be 14 or nine-year-old brother, you know, brother Sam, because I, I, you know, it's, it's odd. It's they odd because yeah. they treat him, again, we, we discussed this, they treat him like he's nine. He's actually 14, meaning he's 14 
when he made the film, Corey Haim was actually 14. I actually thought he was supposed to be 16 when I was watching it, just because he was so cool, just because he right, had right. the charm and just, just because I couldn't imagine a 14 year old dressing and kind of in a shirt that said born to shop. Yeah, so you there's know? this moment where they're like grab ass and they're like, they're just moving into grandpa's house and they're romping around and they're running all over the place like they're like they're little kids. They stop in the doorway to talk to their grandfather and they're cracking jokes about shit. And Michael makes a joke and Sam finds it really funny. But when he finds it funny, he like turns and like nuzzles Michael's chin. And it is so weird and overly affectionate, like in any sense you could possibly imagine. It's like Joel Schumacher in there what was your motivation in this bit of direction right here because as you mentioned there's quite a few oddly placed homoerotic moments uh, and there's nothing wrong with homoeroticism but when it's awkwardly and inappropriately placed with a boy the age of 14 who looks like he could be 11 and is being infantilized like he's nine that's where it starts to get weird and we're not going to start we're not going to go down any weird rumor mill paths of you know anything that anyone has said in regards to because there's always going to be talk of what happened to the Corys. all that to say it's a really really strange piece of direction and i I never noticed it before this watch i was like i noticed it but i didn't really know what to say about it so so i'm glad that you brought it up because yeah no it's it's, a moment it catches your eye and you're just kind of like did they just like what is he doing I, I think it was meant to establish a closeness and why they would then go out together. Because you would think an older brother and a younger brother wouldn't be hanging out as much as they do. And the next thing that happens is they go out for their first night on the town in Santa Clara to the boardwalk pier. And um, they go down there to cruise and see what see what the neighborhood's got to offer, right? And it's a whole bunch of older kids running around playing you know carnival games and riding on the ferris wheel and and then they walk their way into what has to be like the banner event for the summer for 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 this little beach town it's an outdoor concert with the most unbelievable act you've ever seen in your life on stage is a man who looks like the Beastmaster, oiled within an inch of his life. You'd think you, he, he might suffocate. There's so much oil on his skin. And he's wearing a pair of tie-dyed WWF Lycra chaps and a whole bunch of Home Depot chains on his body. And he is the front man of a rock band that all of these kids are wildly clapping out of time for. And his front man instrument is the saxophone. <laughs> oh, is the sexist, sexy sax man. Now, the sexy sax man is actually Tim Capello. And Tim Capello was the sax player for Tina Turner throughout the 80s and the 90s. And the way, yes, points, and the way points, he, points. yes, and the way he came to be the sexy sax man as we know him today is through Tina Turner's involvement with Mad Max. When they shot the video for, I believe it was We Don't Need Another Hero, he was in it. And of course, this was a time when they were just clamoring for dudes with giant muscles, a la Arnold Schwarzenegger, 
Dolph Lundgren. So this was a look that was sought after. So after he did the music video, he was just getting calls from directors all the time. Will you, will you show in this? Will you show in that? So when he got called for this, I think he was actually supposed to be auditioning for Lethal Weapon and was late to that audition and ended up getting pulled into this audition where when he got there, Joel Schumacher already had a picture of him on the wall. <laughs> um, and basically was like, will you do a song in this movie? And he was like, yeah, sure. And now the only thing basically Tim Capello has ever been known for is being the sexy sax man in The Lost Boys. Okay. And wow. Here's my deal. Number one, I love this song, especially there's like a, the bridge. I, I deep love for this song and I love the saxophone. Um, I think it's pretty hilarious that they're head banging to it, but yes. I love this song. And all I have to say when I saw him is, so my child has books that are like, hey, let's think of a character. Let's make it an octopus. Let's make him play a ukulele. Let's make him really want to have a purple spaceship. And I think it's the same thing when we start putting this guy together. It's like, <laughs> hey, let's put on, you know, purple and pink lycra tights and then let's give him a chain necklace and let's give him a really really long hair and a saxophone and big ass muscles and then let's put oil on them that's how they created this character well funnily enough he created himself they didn't ask him for shit okay so the oil chest comes from a apparently that was his standard outfit for playing with tina turner he was like yeah you just oil so much up that like you oil was a, sh a shirt you were wearing your oil shirt to perform so he was accustomed to being oiled then he was like yeah so i wanted it to be a little wacky that's why i got the um the tie-dyed chaps and then it needed to be a little wrong because if it's not a little bit wrong you're not doing it right and that's why I brought in the Home Depot chains. The sad part is, okay, we also have to mention that that motherfucker's edges are snatched. That little half ponytail is so fucking tight. I'm not sure how, how he wasn't lying down, like how it, his hairline didn't just pull him straight to the ground. But anyway, anyway, what's real sad is that Tim Capello is actually quite an accomplished musician, but the only thing anyone gives a shit about is his time as Sexy Sax Man. And he has finally now at the ripe old age of, boomerish um has finally released his own solo album but because people only recognize him and want to know about him as sexy sax man album covers him dressed as sexy sax man as a boomer i'm yeah. telling you this right now because red, it's like a red unitard and like a black thong and, and the home depot chains it's there was no stuff. way we were gonna wait because this whatever he did was right because him in that five ten seconds he's on they the shot screen. it in one take steals the fucking like show basically like, one take. Like, yeah. I can't think of the lost boys without this guy. And to be honest with the whole story, you just told me everything. He's my new spirit animal. I'm going <laughs> to stick him on a candle and light him up whenever I'm feeling low. It's like, come on, Timmy. I still believe. So in this scene, we also meet Jamie Gertz's character and Sasha, can you do this with me? Her name is Star. <laughs> uh, <laughs> why does she have to say it like that Dar oh, oh did you notice in the subtitles when she says it the first time they spell it with two r's <laughs> yeah so from across for, so from across the head-banging crowd of rhythmless teens michael <laughs> sees jamie gertz in the crowd swaying like a hip hippie gypsy at a fucking dead show 
while everyone exactly. else is head totally, totally off rhythm. Yeah. Every time I watch it, it's just cringy. Look, she's off beat. So cringy. The whole, the whole audience is cringy. Not one person in there would be able to carry a beat through their body if it had a fucking handle. It's terrible. Hey, I have to say, I loved her look then, and I still love it now. Like her. Gypsy, oh, no, I love the gypsy skirt and the eyelet it. top. Oh, no, she's, yeah, she's yeah. looking cute. All and she is is hair and doe eyes and that fucking outfit. Because, again, here we go. This movie was what? Written by a man with his penis. She is the most ineffectual, uninteresting, weak-willed, meek, ick. She's the dimmest star. Yeah, so he's immediately taken with her even though she quickly gets on the back of David or Kiefer Sutherland's character's bike. Obviously, like, to any anyone would see that and be like, oh... She's clearly got like a man, but we, I guess that means that he's like fallen under her pre vampire spell just by like locking eyes with her. I know. That's why he can't know, stop thinking about her. I agree with you too, though. You're with Heather Sutherland's character, and now you're straight off flirting with this other guy. And- Word. Well, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, Troy in The Goonies. Like, yeah, he's a little miffed. Andy, why are you, why are you trying to like, roll up on your date while you're in my car in my sweater it's a little bit of a skeevy move but like troy david's move is gonna be disproportionate because he got that vamp rage right they're just still settling into the town and we discover that Corey haim or sam is a comic book nerd we're gonna talk about this more but ultimately everyone has terrible lines in this film terrible lines like diane weiss is a wonderful actress she has terrible lines that she has to say with her mouth and it sucks and then <laughs> and then keith sutherland is is really intense and he actually is is probably the best he gets through those lines and actually doesn't sound terrible but he too has terrible lines he's got to get oh, out man. of his mouth but oh man Corey Haim, oh oh and and Corey Feldman, all of his yeah. lines are well, that's, shit. That's, yeah, they're, that's where I was heavy going. Level so, shits, right? Yeah, that's but where they, I was going. But I would say that Corey Haim, even when he had terrible lines, he was able to spin it where it was charming, like, and it did fit the character. And, and he was, he should have been annoying, but he's actually not annoying. He's just a real sweet, fun character but so there is one line that will never spin right he shows up in the comic book shop that is run by edgar and alan frog okay so edgar and alan frog are two brothers that manage their parents comic book store are their parents the passed out hippies in the corner you know what you're the second person to ask me that today so i'm gonna say a big fat yes we're gonna go with yes because otherwise yes odd more odd choices Corey feldman now is feigning this ridiculous over the top like i'm like a rambo kind of guy accent and it's so cheesy and oh. so annoying it's actually annoying and Corey, he's terrible Corey, sam rolls in there with, with all his city slickerness trying to tell them about you know where the superman comic should be in x y and z and they're like look bro if you're looking for the frozen yogurt stand that's uh that's gone out of business because he does look like he would be looking for the frozen yogurt stand in that outfit and then a very good line right and then he tries to front like he's so cool 
because he comes from Phoenix. No one give a fuck about Phoenix. No one's ever no. like, yeah, Phoenix is cool. No one give a fuck about mm-hmm. Phoenix. No, no one give a fuck, give, give a fuck about Phoenix. No, so- I would have to say this is our third Corey Feldman film in a row. Uh-huh. And this is the worst performance by Corey Feldman. The from all worst. He's terrible in this movie. I, I don't remember him being as fucking terrible as he is. Like when he was on screen, I was like, ugh. I loved, Corey. I loved Corey uh-huh. Feldman. Like he was my favorite. So sorry, so Corey. This, yeah. So this is where we get our first piece of information from the Frog Brothers who try to pass off a comic to Sam just about, you know, vampires, like a welcome manual to the town. And, yeah. you know, so we, we start to find out that there's, okay, some, we, need, we need to be aware of vampires somehow, even though we're pretty sure we already need to be aware of vampires. Absolutely. Swooped down and ate a security guard. So There's another scene in this part too, where we meet, where Diane Weiss is actually also there. So they all went to town. So Diane yeah. Weiss is, is on the hunt for a job and she finds a lost child, so goes into a video rental place that's run by Max, um, who is gonna become her paramour during the film. But I have to mention, and this is this bothers me a lot because I've seen it in a couple movies, where there's a lost child, so the guy, boo, boo, boo. And then the mom shows up finally and says, oh, thanks, right? And the mom just is like, hey, there you are. This is, is the murder like, capital of the world. His mom's just like, oh, you found him. <laughs> I would just be, like, if it was Blevin, like, Blevin's baby, of course, it's not going to happen now. But when he's five and he goes missing because he walks away, oh, my God, I'm going to lose my shit. And it oh, bothers me completely where it's just like, oh, cool, you found him. Isn't it great? So, yeah, we meet Max and also remember that the vampires case the the video store. Yes, Los um, Lost Boys walk in and they give Max a weird look and there's just like a, a weird moment where Max is like, I told you guys not to come in here anymore. And they're like, okay. And then they walk out. It's, it's a very kind of- Well, that's yeah. the whole thing about this film. And, and we'll, you know, we're, we aren't gonna go scene by scene, but it just, they have a lot of moments that kind of don't make sense. And of course this one's foreshadowing, but there's other scenes that literally do not make any sense of why they need to be in the film. You know, the one I'm talking about right now, because we're just going to jump around a bit, is, you know, later on, Max is walking to his house, fucking bat kite hits him in the head. And there's just no reason for and that's, it. Like, that's supposed to, but that's supposed, no, it's supposed to feel like, like he, like he's being terrorized or something. It's, yeah, there's, there's some yeah, real weird But you know, weird, and weird I moments. know, and everyone who's listening knows that Max is not being terrorized by them. He's right. actually like their dad. So yeah. why, why would they be terrorizing him? It doesn't make any yeah, sense. It doesn't make it's any like, sense. It's like they're trying to, basically they were trying to like throw us off the scent that Max was involved in this. They could have, they could have done a better job of that. On this visit to the county fair, cause that's apparently all there is to do. Michael is what is, decides to buy a leather jacket yes. in the middle of summer. At a beach town. Well, he's trying to change his yeah. his identity, you know, because first he gets the coat, the leather jacket, and then he's about to get an earring and ear his ear pierced when, of course, Star uh, shows up and <laughs> says that says one of her four lines in the film. It's, it's a rip off, right? It's a rip off. That's what she says. I'll pierce your ear for you. Like, why do these young people? 
what's the attraction? Like they fall hard and fast just because they're both pretty. They're walking on the boardwalk. He asks her if she wants to get a bite to eat. She's like, yeah. And then they just get descended upon by Los Lost Boys. They all roll up on their fucking bikes. And David is just like Mr. Vibe City. Star, what are you doing? Uh, I'm going for a ride, David. Star. And she just fucking gets on the bike. And she gets on the bike in this really weird way. Like she has to put her hand on his chest to like anchor her weak little body to like swing her like eight ounce legs up and over the, yeah. It's It's all about trying to just get that hair. She's top heavy from that hair. So yeah, so she gets on the back of the bike. And then of course, what would be a teen movie if we don't have some kind of drag race of some kind? And David challenges Michael to a race with a dirt bike. And so that's the next thing that happens is this very prolonged dirt bike chase in the dark. And then all of a sudden they're on trail fog and in the fog because a fog machine follows David wherever he goes. (laughs) And then, and then it gets real strange to me. So they're, they're on, they're chasing. He's not, he doesn't have to beat him. He just has to keep up. So they get all the way up into like these bluffs. Right. And it's about to be a cliff. And of course, Michael, not being immortal, is like, fuck this, and like steers his bike away, comes off the side, but realizes that, yes, in fact, David maybe, like Troy, has a disproportionate reaction to him being interested in his girlfriend and tries to run him again off a fucking cliff. (laughs) This is a trope. You got to come up with some new shit. So he hops off the bike and immediately goes for David. It starts this fight, and he's like, you, just you, in the very fucking music video lights, right? And then it goes from this to them hanging out in the bat cave. They go from like, we about to square up son to being VFFs. Like what? That's the thing about it. It escalates very quickly. It it, it goes from, they hate each other. He's taking, um, picking up on his girl. This race that almost kills him, punching him. And then, and then he continues to fuck with him you know, in the back cave. Right, and it makes no sense. Once they get down in the cave, like, I'm like, okay, so wait, you were ready to take this dude's teeth out, but you decided instead to go for a long walk into a dark, down, deep cave for a fucking history lesson about a sunken factory? And then get- It's a uh, sunken resort. A sunken resort, okay, excuse me. So again, it makes absolutely no sense that like they were just about to come to fisticuffs and now he's just hanging out VFFs when his whole, his whole motivation was to get close to star and then to be terrorized. They give him a joint. Maybe they, maybe it's got like some PCP in it. I don't know that they were able to, Oh no, they're just vamps. So they have mind control. It's like a glamor. So, so this is first of all, and then they, and then they get Chinese food from what has to be the worst Chinese restaurant in all of North America with some dry ass white rice and some plain ass, no sauce noodles. I know. I was like, who ordered this Chinese? Because where's the Kung Pao chicken? Literally nothing in those noodles is just noodles when he glamours him to see the maggots and when he glamours him to see the noodles, like this has become an iconic part. And it is yeah. really, ugh. Like it's, it's nasty. And I, I, this is where my fear of maggots started. Oh, it's so disgusting. They're in poltergeist because they do the exact same thing in poltergeist. Okay. They price in the maggots and poltergeist. Oh, but you're absolutely right. So, so he psychs him out with the maggots. He psychs him out with the, with the worms and then. And then drinks his wine. Why would you drink the wine? Also, boo, are you that young? You've never had wine. Wine don't taste like blood. To Star's credit, in this moment, she does say, don't drink it. It's blood. 
because there's a, later on, remember, he's going to get Oh, yeah, I wrote that down, her. too. And she that. said, she did tell you, son. She told you that was blood. You and Hidia, for some you. reason, you wanted to play nice with a dude that just tried to take you off a cliff, smoke his weed, eat his maggot rice, drink, eat his fucking worm noodles, and then drink <laughs> his blood wine. And then, and then you want to front I like, love. you got bitched. You got bitched. You did that to yourself. <laughs> I love the next part, though. It's so ludicrous. It's basically a superimposed montage. You, like, see him fade into and then a star is in the and then corner jim and then jim morrison's face <laughs> comes up and then it's Kiefer saying he 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 ha 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 and it's just like oh it's hilarious after they've tripped balls in the lair they go for a ride they go for a ride and then play a real fucking weird game that I can't understand how in any world where you didn't know these dudes were vampires, you'd be like, okay, I'll play along. So they ride their dirt bikes up to yet another train bridge, Richard Donner. Oh, wait, no, that's Stand By Me now. That's Stand yeah. By Me. So we're just like, we're just in a whole soup of 80s tropes now. We're back to a, <laughs> to a train bridge. We're back to a train bridge. And they park their bikes. They basically start to, you know, drop, start dropping the pennies for Michael when they're like, join us. And one by one, they jump over the side of the bridge. And then you're like, your mother told you if everyone jumped off a bridge and they told you to, would you do it too? Apparently, yes, Michael fucking would. So they all jump over the side and then he crawls through a hole to then hang, just hang above a ravine. Maybe it's a ravine. It's Maybe. just full of fog. It's just full of fog. Who fucking knows what's down there? And he's just going to hang out so that he can be cool. What the fuck, son? He's gone from, I hate you, and you're you know fucking with my girlfriend, and I'm about to put you off a cliff, eat some worms, eat some maggots, be one of us. Join us. Join us. After a certain point, the only lines that this motherfucker says anymore is, one of us. Now you know <laughs> what we are. Be with yeah. us all he says anymore for the rest yeah. of the film it's absurd it's cheesy and so then of course a train comes and they're like Wah! crazy vampires this is a fucking blast and one by one they drop into the fog and of course michael then has no choice but to let go because he doesn't have those brother from another planet feet yet he can't just like <laughs> turn upside down and hold on yeah. so then again this is another part that kind of doesn't really explain when he wakes up he's in bed so you don't really know what happens. How much time has passed. It, how much yeah, time. What's, yeah. It's just it. So. When he wakes up, he's just really mean. Now that's his thing. And Jason yeah. Patrick, which we should talk about at this point. All right, two things. Number one, I'm not my favorite actor. And I'm going to tell you why. is because he thinks he's intense, but he tries to be intense. Like you can just mm -hmm. sense that he's like, I'm trying to be a good actor. But what happens is he actually just ends up doing some really weird choices and, mm -hmm. and his voice is off a bit. Like he doesn't yeah. actually speak like naturally. Yeah. He's, I like saw playing, he, like, he's like playing at being yeah. intense. <laughs> so he's really mean and he, and he says um, his grandfather comes in. We didn't really talk about the grandfather, but the grandfather is great. And I wondered, because we were watching this with, you know, like super goggles on, like, is he weird just for weird sake? Because he does a lot of weird things. Like, 
TV guide. And he's like, uh, oh, you know, the little I actually, for like, some reason, get... really loved that moment. And he's like, you're just going to end up ripping the corner. And I don't like that. I was like, I, but I, I was really about to say, moment. it made so much sense to me. I was like, yeah, don't do it. It reminded me, remember when we were um, wonderful smokers and I used to leave the paper inside my cigarette box and I used to, if somebody pulled that out, I got infuriated. And of course that started just so I'd know which pack of cigarettes was mine versus right. everyone else. But then it became a thing. He's quirky in such a good way and in all his taxidermy. And when he comes in, he's like going to go visit the widow Johnson and he's, he's like stuffed her little Shih Tzu and he's looking for aftershave and they give him Windex and he just pops it on and he's like, Ooh, yeah, time yeah, to go. That does, that does the trick. And, and then here we have, here we have Sam who's like, why are you giving our grandfather so much attitude? You're really, yeah. your behavior's out of line. I'm gonna make you a sandwich. And he's like, <laughs> don't bother. And he's supposed to be babysitting. He's supposed to be babysitting the kid who's about to, who's telling him to get his act together and offering to make him a sandwich. And he's left in charge and is told, you know, make sure that he doesn't misbehave. And he's like, go take your bath. And again, it's like, wait a second, this guy, he can roam around town on his own. He acts like he's 16, but he, we know that he's 14, but he's being treated like he's nine. So, yeah, he, yeah. Goes, yeah, so he goes to take his bath. He follows orders to go take his bath. And while he's taking his bath, all of the sudden, things start to get weird for Michael. Michael goes to have some milk and just about loses his cookies, realizes he needs blood and blood yesterday, and heads up the stairs to apparently eat his brother. And he's on one side of the door, just wrestling with this need to get through the door and eat his brother. And Nanook, that beautiful dog, yeah. Nanook is like, something wicked this way comes. He knows. And while Sam is taking a bubble bath as a young teen boy, Singing. splashing around, flashing his nipples. Joel Schumacher, I got a lot of questions if you were here to ask them. Um, <laughs> and, and is like just bopping around to 50s music again in the tub. Here we go. Decides to dunk himself underwater just as Michael cannot withhold the urges. Opens the door and Nanook is like, the fuck you will, and jumps through and attacks. And of course, Sam knows immediately something's gone up. He pops up out of the water, sees Nanook is gone, opens the door, runs down the stairs, sees Michael down on the ground with his hand bleeding. And immediately he's like, what the fuck did you do to my dog, you asshole? And that's when I'm like, Sam, you are the bomb. He's on his dog side first. All the that's time. His brother, his brother's bleeding, but he's like, what did you do to my dog? He bit me. Well, why'd you make him bite you? What'd you do to him to make you bite you, you fucking weirdo? Exactly. And, and he was Love protecting it. him. This actually is probably the best scene in the movie. I'm putting my horror hat on, like the way he's about to kill his little brother and, and that intensity. It's really well done. And then with the dog saving the day, Nanook is awesome too. What a beautiful animal. I was thinking I'd like to get a Nanook. And it's a Nanook good name. Is, Nanook, is, Nanook is pretty sweet. Yeah. So then, of course... So and then, then there's this mo the moment they discover, right? They see, and he's like, what's going on with you, man? He stands up and he's like, oh my God, oh my God. You, look, at your, look at your reflection in the mirror. You're a fucking vampire. My own brother's a shit-sucking, stinking fucking vampire. <laughs> Runs upstairs, locks the door, locks all the windows, calls the Frog Brothers. And that's hilarious too, because the Frog Brothers who suck, okay? I'm just going to say it now. Like I did not 
they're, they're comic relief, but does his breath smell? Yes, but it always says, definitely undead. Just, you've got to kill him. They're like, kill your brother, you'll feel better. Like, it is funny, but the first person they call is, is those guys. And then she just calls to check in. She calls to check in after Michael falls asleep and starts flying out the window. And then she calls and it becomes a very crazy moment where she's on the phone talking to Corey Haim's character and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, Michael, like, he's just like that. And Michael's on the phone going, he doesn't he's know what he's talking about. And, and it's just insane. And, and then she, Mama Bear just goes, okay, I'll be there. Because she's on her way to a date. She's supposed to be yes. having dinner with Max. And she she's calls, first it. of all, like the maitre d' lets her use the phone. Like, I love that this is the 80s. At any point when a business will <laughs> let you use their phone. So she calls from the maitre d's, slams the phone down, books it out of the restaurant, tears across the parking lot, jumps into their dirty SUV and comes home. And then by that time, of course, Michael has convinced Sam that yes, while obviously something fucked up is happening to me, I'm still your brother and I need you on my side. I need your help. Mom comes home and he's like, ah, Corey Haim. Oh no, I just, I guess I was reading this comic and I got really worked up. And that's where Diane Weiss finally, she gets, she has to have one of her first legit moments where she's like, dude, what the fuck? Like I was going to have a date. Fuck the both of you. That's so uncool. That's really uncool. Like I'm always doing nice things for you. Can you just like, let me be a person? And, so and have a night, the, yeah. The woman who was, I was watching it with, she's like, you know what, it's funny. When I was younger, I didn't realize how pretty she was. She was actually thought that she's she was kind of stunning. ugly looking. But now you look at her and you're like, God, she's got just the prettiest skin and the prettiest eyes. She just is so, uh, I just, uh, we're going to have to have Diane Weiss day. We're going to have to do a special episode because yeah. she was just magical. Like, well, the next, the next major thing of note that happens, right, is that Michael is like, um, I need to get down to the bottom of what the fuck is happening to me. Oh, there it is. Star. Mm-hmm. So she comes back to star. And um, this, where this goes down with them is truly like the, oh, God, could I wish upon a star to just, just go away. The cringiest... Oh my God. Sex scene ever. And yeah, if ever a star could burn out, this would be the moment. And in this moment, she's, this is when she's kind of like, I can't tell you. And he's like, what's happening to me? And oh she God. just answers, oh, Michael. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. Why? Why? Right? Why can't she tell him? Why can't she say? He, you, you're, you're a half vampire, man. Um, yeah, there's no reason. And so they have sex and- like, here's my two problems. A, they're having sex in the lair. So David could show up at any time. Any moment. Like, any, any moment. moment. And they yeah. don't have, like, let's have sex really quick to get it done. You know what I mean? It's not like it is. Oh, no. It's a, it's a whole tantric affair. They're like. It sedan. is. Second sedan, problem. Breathe in. Yeah. Where's, Where's Laddie? Laddie. Right there. Two seconds away. Laddie is just taking a nap so they bone and it's so cringeworthy and i told did i i think i already told you this but they bone it's super cringeworthy and whilst i was watching it uh my son just took the remote and turned it the fuck off i swear <laughs> to god i swear to god he somehow got the remote and was like no he, he was like, i can watch <laughs> it's just i why is it so cringeworthy? Is it just because she's so whimpering? And yes. 
and you just she's, don't. Yeah, she's so whimpering, and they've had really so little interaction that yes. you just can't buy this burning desire and passion yes. for each other. It makes no fucking sense. So later, when she shows up looking for his help, and he's like, "Why? Because you, you care so much about me?" She's like, "Yeah, I do." It's like based on what? The, yeah, it's not believable at all. Have hardly happened because basically he saw her. Then he tried to follow her, couldn't catch her, but then bought a leather jacket and then she showed up. And the next thing you know, that's, that's all they that's had it. before David showed up and was like, come be one of us. The real person he bonded with was David. That's yeah. where the real love is. That's where the real connection happened. Like they just, they, all they have is intense stares at each other that aren't really intense. Like they're just, he's intense and she's intense, but they're not intense together. So as they bone, we get a very, another non sequitur moment where it's like a cloud metaphor. First, you're like, okay, you know, sex is so good. They're on cloud nine. But then the, it, it turns out that it's flying. It's again, the, the flying motif. So it's actually David. So whilst they're boning, they immediately cut to like David flying through the clouds into the lair with his, his, uh, los, um, Those lost boys. Yeah. And it's just like another thing, like the, the bat kite, like it makes no sense really. Um, and they don't catch him. They, they decide to fly right past star and David boning and just decide to hang upside down thing. And I believe they play uh, cry little sister again at that point. Of course they do. What else would they play? So we we get so the one scene that actually I really liked with Diane Weiss when the dinner uh, scene. No, it's when Michael comes home and she goes, "Hey, aren't we oh, friends?" Oh yeah. You know, or if well, if we're friends, then you need to. Can talk we to act me. like it? Yeah. Yeah, you need to talk to me. Can you start acting like it? I was like, I'm going to use that line when I grow up. Yeah, I that's that was that. legit mom. That was legit mom language. That was that was well written. That scene alone was very very well written. Diane very well gives good mom well she's footloose mom too right and she's footloose mom but yeah, she's, she's always mom she's ariel's mom yeah she's always but, mom yeah um yeah so, so then at- we so then we we have to keep building out the max storyline between max and diane so because she goes to max's house to bring him a bottle of wine to say i'm sorry for running out on dinner uh-huh and his hellhound tries to eat her and his hellhound thorn tries to eat her now love nanook Definitely don't like Thorn though. Is it just no? White Thorn, dogs? Thorn's a Thorn's a mean junkyard dog. He's not. He's, he's not as cool as none right? at all. So then, to make up for the lost date, then Max ends up coming to their house for dinner, yeah. where he then, you know, we then have a little toxic masculinity moment where it's like, you know, you're the man of the house, so you've got to invite me in. Of course, we then later figure out that as a vampire, is he has to be invited in first. So he's invited in, and of course, the Frog Brothers are also over for the evening. Sam has decided that he's going to pull the Frog Brothers in on this on trying to figure out how do we how do we solve this problem of my brother as a vampire and they realize well we've got to find the head vampire. Why do they decide that Max is the head vampire? So basically because Sam not only is he a snappy dresser but he's a super genius and he figures it out immediately that it's Max at this point. What was the thing that tipped him off to think that Max he was? He said that, that all of this started to happen when my mother got started working at the video store. That's all it took. Yeah, because one clue wonder. He only goes at night and, they, and he had a hellhound because he read Word, that. Right. 
So right. he, okay. he kind of pieces it together and he's right. And that's the thing. If he was wrong, then this would be interesting, but he's not. He's right. And actually Michael is not the man of the house. The grandpa's the man of the house. Exactly. That so. is grandpa's house. Respect grandpa. Maybe so they happen. so they decide that that Max is not the head vampire based on some bad intel of the Frog Brothers, given that garlic doesn't work on him, holy water for some reason doesn't work on him, and also for some strange reason Nanook has no reaction to Max whatsoever. So while this dinner party is taking place, is this while Michael is out hanging yeah. with Los so, Lost Boys? So Michael on. leaves here and uh -huh. he goes and he finds David and he's like, where is she? Which is weird again, because there's nothing to establish that she's missing. So it's like, where's your girlfriend that I just boned? You know, right. it's very like, or maybe, you know, she's not supposed to be David's girlfriend, but it seems there, like she is. He clearly has ownership over her. He, yeah. she has no, I mean, because she clearly has no agency. And since he's pulling the strings of the Lost Boys, um, you have to assume that he's I'm running. I'm saying that well. it's kind of wrong to go to someone's boyfriend after you've screwed their girlfriend and demand where she is. A little bit. They go for a ride, the boys, the Lost Boys. Come with us. Be one of us. Be one of us. They get on their bikes and they ride out into the woods where they find the weirdest headbanging circle jerk of weird dudes listening to Walk This Way by Aerosmith headbanging around a campfire. So look, like this soundtrack is good because the tracks are good, but where they're dropped in the film is like, what happened? Good track, <laughs> inappropriately placed. Like, why aren't they listening to fucking Danzig? Why aren't they listening to like anything with teeth? Yeah, like, like, like these are supposed to be like these hardcore dudes drinking beers in the woods and headbanging and fucking moshing together. And they're listening to Walk This Way by Aerosmith. I find this party very homoerotic. Like there's no girls at the party. It's just a bunch of dudes. Circle jerking and, and moshing, yeah, and, and, and hugging, and and yeah, they're yeah, doing like it. like it's a whole so, bunch of weird. And then there's a massacre. Then they fucking massacre. they they rile up, and David and the Los Los boys fucking eat the shit out of these dudes. Rip oh their heads God. off, rip their necks open. Again, a great horror film part: the gore when he bites the head and the hair, the blood. Oh my God! Straight into his straight into his skull. <laughs> that, that was a lot. Head. That was a lot. And of course, there's Michael horrified but at the same time once in tantalized yeah, yeah thirsty. It's, it's that thing and i mean this is the same thing with all vampire movies so so it's it's wrong to say like homoerotic here because that's the whole thing with vampires right like right the metaphor for sex and the metaphor for desire and all those things so but again jason patrick is so intense that he's like shaking and troubled and ugh. right and I, then we get and then we get probably one of the the hallmark lines of the movie that only Kiefer sutherland because he's such a good actor could pull off and not sound like a complete dingus so now you know what we are and now you know what you are absolutely you, you know, will never grow old and you'll never die but you must feed and then he like wipes his mouth. <laughs> yeah. It's so fucking cheesy. And they're all like backlit. He goes home and she all of a sudden is down below and then flies up to the window. And there's Sam like, she's one of them. What the fuck? But she's already in the room yeah. and she's all weepy and sad. And this is, I think, where she says the most words. 
and um, he's like, it was that night in the cave. Hello, dropping penny. There's only like 10,000 of them have been dropping around you for the last like at least week. That wasn't wine, it was blood. Oh, she told you. She I'm actually really said to you, that's blood. Okay, like she said yeah. it over the She didn't, she didn't like, even warn you. She didn't say like, oh, don't drink that. She like literally said, that's not wine, it's blood. <laughs> that's blood. Okay, like that, those words were said to you and you ignored it and you drank a whole bunch of the blood. So that shit is on you. And then of course he just becomes all shitty and nasty to her. Do you care about me? Because I care about you. And then like he turns, he's like, why did you even come here? Because I was hoping you would help me and laddie. And then he turns his back on her because he wants to be a prick. And then she's like, oh, you're not going to help us? Then I'm going to split. And then he turns around and he's like, oh, where, where did, did she go? go? Yeah, yeah. Seen that story before, you self-involved prick. You had a moment. <laughs> could have been a hero. You could have been a good guy, but you chose to be wrapped up in your own well, bullshit. She mind left. you, she's so wet that i mean i, I get inspiration <laughs> you know why i don't like her because she's so drama for your mama that sometimes she will talk but she won't actually look at him that over dramatic weepiness she's like a poor man's phoebe cates you know phoebe cates mm. is fun that's what uh, i'm saying this is budget brack pack one of the plot points here of course is that He's not a vampire. She's not a vampire, and nor is Laddie. Ah, They're just yes. half vampires because, because they've not been. yet made their first kill. How did Laddie become half a vampire? Like I'm not really sure. Are... See, yeah, there's never really any real explanation about Laddie, and so my backstory on Laddie is that Star is Laddie's babysitter, and they took both of them at the same time. Oh, that's a good one, Sasha. That's a good one. Because I just, all I could imagine is like, okay, well, so Laddie is hanging out on the boardwalk and they're like, hey, come party with us. Yeah. Like, drink some blood. And now we know because of the Frog Brothers that if you kill the head vampire, anyone who's not full vampire will, will be released from the vampire curse. Yeah. So now on a dime, this movie spins from being in what's supposed to be edgy teen vampire horror drama to the Goonies con vampiros. Like that's exactly <laughs> what happens because the next thing you know, we're, we're back to the Frog Brothers loading up their BMX bikes and their walkie talkies and riding na, 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 na. We're badass little kids. We got BMX bikes and they like ride over there. And then first they get all their tools and they, they steal grandpa's car. Right. And they go to the lair to kill the head vampire. But, um, but what they first do is they take Star and they take Laddie and they take mm -hmm. him out of the lair and they bring him back to the house. But whilst they're there, they kill Bill. Marco. Marco. I'm calling yeah. him Bill. Yeah, I Bill. Think Bill. That's it. And yeah. mind you, when he's hanging upside down, his hair is like beautiful Botticelli curls. I know. He's like Rapunzel. He's like a mermaid. Like they're all <laughs> upside down, but he's, he's definitely... Like that's yeah. why the first thing I noticed about this movie is hair. And it's not like that's, he's just yeah. got a curly head. He's got a curly head with locks. Oh no, no, locks he's got a mane. Locks. They splashed their budget on Kiefer Sutherland, the two Corys, and that weave. <laughs> why are they being so loud? Like they right. come in and are like, where's the vampire? Well, I guess, like, I guess they assume that they sleep like a rock because it's daytime, but his scream certainly woke the rest of them up or were they woken up because like the vampire force had been disturbed and they could feel one of their the own. I the vampire force. Because, because when Michael goes, 
he's able to go like, hey, star, wake up. And she wakes up. But right. he, she does not wake up when Corey Feldman, Frog Brother, pulls the curtain and just, there's one right here, let's kill her. And they even shine the flashlight right in their faces yeah oh but it's already been established though that like they're starting to wane in energy because none of them have made their first kill yet they haven't actually fed so they're getting oh no he puts, the, he puts the flashlight in keith or sutherland's face oh no i'm talking about why um why star doesn't wake up okay yeah because they've got to carry her and carry laddie out even though it's daytime they're just like they're so drained and depleted and he michael himself is getting weaker and weaker because he they yeah. need to feed um, so yeah, so they shine lights in their face. They make all kinds of noises. They make a bunch of terrible, stupid jokes. And then finally, they crawl up there and they stick Marco Bill in his Los Lost Boys chest and a whole bunch of green antifreeze goo spills out. I'm sure it stinks terrible. And then they all wake up and start shrieking and the head vampire in charge at this point, he... The only thing he can think to say, you would think he would have released his brother from another planet clause and be like, what? like immediately down on them. No, oh, you're dead me. Like he's Biff in back to the future. Like <laughs> I that know. was so ridiculous. I know. So ridiculous. Like he took his sweet ass time coming down from his perch long enough that both of the frog brothers could get out. And only, there's only this is like ridiculous, you know, I'm pulling on your ankle, trying to pull you back. Like, why didn't he just like yeah. rip his leg out of the socket? And then they burn his hand in sunlight, right? Yeah, it's like, like when Star goes up to the window, she literally does it in not one second. Right. That. But right. for some reason, when they're in their lair, in the darkness, and they've fed, even though it's daytime, it, it first- He's struggling with Corey Hames- 16 pound leg and, power issue yeah. power problem power problem. yeah there's there's something 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 really silly there it's, it's just pretty ridiculous yeah now they're prepping the house now right. i know you've got lots to say about this but before you get into it um at one point they've got a bag of garlic that literally would not fit in this room they drove to gilroy raided the entire town and brought it all back but seriously Sasha, it's like they're prepping in one day like what, yeah. not even a day, right? Because yeah. in two hours, actually, they say they're going to come and be there in two hours. Um, and, and it's just the boys. So they went out and bought six tons of garlic. It, the bag is huge. Oh, yeah. They stole a bunch of holy water from a church. Yep. They put it in their canteens. Hello, stand by me. And then fill a bathtub. Yeah. Fill a bathtub. Right. So they're locking the place down. They're locking the place down. We've left now with David sitting in the dark after his hand has burned. One single tear drops down his cheek and he goes, tonight. (laughs) So good. Lucy, the mom, is on a date with Max. They send the grandfather out on a lark to go on a date with the widow, Johnson. So Mm -hmm. everyone's out of the house. And yeah, they're putting everything together, waiting for the night to come. Just as night falls and just as things are going to happen, Nanook barks. He's still outside. Nanook! And this is the part where if I wasn't into Corey Haim through the whole movie, he just right. stole my heart because he, didn't, he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't even ask. 
He just runs out and gets his dog. Though I am a little upset that he's like tied up outside. And like, why is he tied up that tight to the fence? Why did they have to struggle with the leash that hard? Like why? Well, why because he could have so tight? tightened it himself. I feel yeah. like there were better ways they could have stored Nanook while they prepared the house. But anyway, exactly. they did. They stored Nanook outside and then they go out there to release him as the flock... <laughs> flock of vampire seagulls is about to descend upon them oh my god new, I just want new that wave a, danger approaches i just want that as a t-shirt flock of vampire seagulls yeah the flock of vampire seagulls are about to descend upon them as they free nanook and start running across the yard of course they got to trip at least twice because what's a horror movie if you don't trip they manage to get inside just in time slam the door shut and think they're safe but somehow one of them burrowed through the earth and is shot up through the bottom of the fireplace. And then another comes in. How? He's already in there. Like all of a sudden, all of them are all yeah, yeah. ready in, the, in house. the house. And, and you know, I vampire lore too. So does that mean that because they invited Max in as the head vampire, that invitation gets extended to the whole fucking family? I that don't make no sense. No, it does. It, I mean, well, the thing is, is that all vampire movies kind of create their own rules of vampire for example mm -hmm. in twilight they are allowed to go to fucking high school and they don't die in sunlight they just sparkle some shit like that you okay know? so okay. so it's possible like in this world that they're they don't need to be invited in but if they're invited in then then you can't hurt them you know well garlic doesn't hurt them and shit like that but anyway no, I, don't think that, I don't think that that's true i don't think that they're protected i think it really does just buy them entrance but to that end once they're in they're pretty goddamn easy to kill like for all their badassery they don't put up much of a fight like they all get yeah. murked pretty get fucking murked. quick so i again like i this is another part where the fun gore happens um death by bathtub awesome <laughs> awesome and then blood blood gushing out of every possible pipe and blood gushing out of all the pipes it's just it's lovely it's just so fun um and plus i love and it's that, nanook that pushes him into the tub which nanook, is awesome yeah. i love that you know it's like they they splash him with the water and then they're just cowering little babies um the frog brothers which they deserve because the second they all bust in the first vampires they go after our star in the king. Women and children. I, Women and children yeah. first they go for. Yeah. You wimps. You fucking bitches. wimps. Yeah. They're totally bitches. They're not good. I, like, I did not like the front brothers. So, so then the nooks. But, but Laddie turned way. though. Laddie did turn. Laddie doesn't turn completely. He, he, Eddie Munster's out, remember? But he doesn't but that's, actually. Become, he hasn't. He, oh yeah, right. He still hasn't fed, but he, he does. He fed. goes into Eddie Munster mode. But and he like, goes, um, yeah. Um, but you know, I love the the melting skin, and then it, he comes up once, and he's just nasty, and then he comes up again, and he's a skeleton. However, death by stereo, meh. Nah. Floating head was nice, but meh. Nah. Nah. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, like, and then and then the grand battle between David, battle. where David is hanging out in the shadows, talking shit to come down with his vampire speed, and like kick Michael in the face a minute, punch him in the neck the next, just like all this stupid shit. And then he finally hits Michael hard enough that Michael goes vamp. And then they fly up into the air and spin around with each other. And again, it's like, he's still like, 
come be with us. It's like, I, I don't want to kill your you. friends. Right. I think right. that he's got a little bit of a crush. I don't know if it's a huge crush, but it seems like. like no, at that point, you're getting that vibe. You're like, yeah, you're really at, you know, like, like this, the most real relationship building in this is between um, David and Michael, where David's like, hey, I want you to be part of my family. Like, why don't you come be with us? Like, please. Ask some multiple times. Right? Please, uh, I don't want to kill you. My blood is in you. And this is after, of course, David, I mean, Michael has almost impaled David on a set of antlers. Then he's like, now antlers, I thought you could only stake a vampire with wood. I didn't think bone yeah. antlers work too, but apparently. Well, see, that's another thing. So like I said, when you do vampire movie, you can kind of come up with your own lore. And at one point, um, one of the Frog Brothers says, now vampires, they all die differently. And I, they, I think they literally said right. that line so they could set up get away with all of these ridiculous. Yeah. One yeah. dies in a in 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 holy water. Now that's right, but the other one is electrocuted, and that might be okay because fire usually, you know, mm. will, will kill them. And then he's staked, but not by wood. Right. By right. So right. So he tries to they, they, he tries to send Michael across the room and stake him. And then Michael holds onto the door frame, and there's that whole like your blood is in me, my blood is in me too. Rah! And then he just like gets him, gets him on the antlers and sticks him right. And everyone thinks it should all go away, and that's how we know. Oh, oh. David was not the head vampire. I mean, the dialogue again in this scene was, remember I said it was all written by Pee Wee Herman, that whole fucking- Yeah, like, my blood's in you, my blood's in me, my blood's in you, and my blood's in me. And the other one was I'm like- No, I'm gonna kill you. Yeah. You killed, the, I, I, I wrote it down. Now you're gonna die. It's, it's, you killed Marco. And then Corey Feldman goes, you're next. And the guy goes, no, you're next. You're next. You're just, you're just waiting for them to go, no, not, you're next. No, you're next. It's really, really, it's, it's really bad, bad dialogue. Yeah, it, I didn't, I didn't notice until this time how actually terrible the dialogue is. So, Mom and Max yes. come home. Yes, walk into the shit show that is now Grandpa's house, and they're like, "What the actual fuck is going on?" Max wanders in and sees his protege impaled on a set of you know antlers, and is just like, "Oh." His sweet young face. That's now like I didn't know that when you're no longer a vampire, you you shave. Like, yeah, your your hair, yeah. and face disappears. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so he's sad, and then he chooses that moment because you know his little gang, his little his gr his group of Los Lost Boys is dead, and then he comes out and reveals himself as head vampire. And reveals that he was invited into the house, and that's how he can be in the house, and that garlic doesn't work, and bleedy blah blah boo, and that the whole plan was to get the boys part of the gang because what he really wanted was a mommy for his boys. I love it. One of the moments that's my favorite here is when they're revealing, you know, he's revealing all of this, and he's kind of very matter of fact about it. And Star comes out, and Diane Weiss is like, Who's this? <laughs> like, like, there's a woman in my house. Who are you? <laughs> so then one by one, they all try to take on Max, who of course swats them away like, like little kittens, just swats them right, left, and center, except for Sam, who he gets in a headlock and basically holds hostage 
for mom to make the decision. I pop your kid's head like a zit or you join me and be den mother to all my lost boys that I will create in the future. And but one thing that you missed though is when he becomes a vampire, John Lithgow shows up and takes over the part. John Lithgow. <laughs> it is not... He does. It looks exactly like John Lithgow. Oh, God. So wait, poor John Lithgow is the demonic version of... Edward Hugh Irwin. Grant's ugly American uncle? <laughs> yes. Poor John Lithgow. That's so terrible. I'm telling you, it looks exactly it's like a it's like a footloose reunit. Oh my god. Oh my god. So of course, of course, Lucy being Lucy, she loves her kids. There's no chance she's gonna let Max hurt her son. She puts her hand is in his after after kind of clocking his nasty ass long fingernails puts her hand in his, starts to let him draw her in, his teeth are poised and ready, and then we have Grandpa X Machina. La cucaracha! <laughs> and he comes, he drives through the door, he somehow magically knows what's going on in his house and in exactly what room he should drive his Jeep through the wall of, then launching those spiky posts that he happened to be building a fence with, off of his car for Michael to push Max into, and he goes sailing into the fire pace, bursts into flame. And then everyone's happy, and everyone's hugging, <laughs> and everyone's covered in soot, and, uh, you know, everyone, you know, Laddie's happy because he is no longer a half vampire, and he hugs Star, and, um, and then the grandpa kind of, you know, everyone's hugging, and the grandpa kind of to the fridge oh, cracks a root and, beer. and opens up the the second shelf that says old farts and not a beer a root beer he doesn't yeah. drink he drinks a root yeah. beer the one good line in this whole movie which is one thing about santa clara i never could stomach all the damn vampires roll credits yeah and my roll last credits. note and my last note on this is Jesus, this is awful. So yeah. Oh, so, so yeah. See the grandfather, you know, taking the moment. Actually, if you watch the movie, he's watching and dropping hints through basically the whole movie. He hasn't, he doesn't explicitly say it, but the grandpa's kind of on the level through the whole thing. And when you watch it and you know, and you're, and you're watching it the way you and I watch it, you're like, oh, there, you know, oh, there it is. Easter there egg. It is. Yeah, there there's, is. there's, yeah. The, there's the hint, there's the there's clue, the there's the Easter egg. I like this because I used to, during Halloween, I would watch like the scariest of the scary films. You know, it'd be like, when am I going to watch The Shining? And then when <gasps> am I going to watch this? And you know what I mean? Like, however scary I could make all, all month long. I don't want to do that anymore. I, I am kind of getting to where you are, where being scared isn't great. This, however, is perfect where it's like, I can get that fun campy horror thing that I enjoy, but I'm not actually frightened. It wasn't scary, so that was good for me. It's a fun ride, wouldn't call it a film, probably never gonna watch it again twice in one day, that's for sure. Like if you had a Halloween party, would you maybe put that on the background while everyone was hanging out? I don't know if it would be the first one I'd choose. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. To on a transatlantic flight, are you going to watch, and there's four options this time, are you gonna watch The Lost Boys? Are you gonna watch Lost in Translation? 
are you going to watch the series Lost or are you going to watch a Liam Neeson movie? I am going to watch The Lost Boys. Really? I'm going to watch Lost in Translation. And then I will probably watch the Liam Neeson movie because I'm still mad at Lost, the series. Ah. I'm still, I, I mean, it would make sense, right? You've got hours and hours and you could basically watch everything. But if I went through that many hours of my life, like I did in the fucking early aughts, the way that they took me on that ride and then just drop kicked me in my gut with that fucking finale, I can't go through that again. I'd watch, I'd probably watch Lost Boys and then watch uh, the Liam Neeson movie. But I definitely watch Lost Boys first because I think it's fun. And and now I would watch it again with my with with the um, new information of our of our wonderful podcast because it always enlightens me, Sasha. I always have new ideas that kind of endear these movies to me even more. So I would actually probably go back and watch Joysticks if it was on a transatlantic flight, just oh because I would be like, me and Sasha watched that. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I've, I'm enjoying all the movies that we've seen and, and it would just make me want to watch. I, I can let the memory of Joysticks live in my heart. <laughs> I will never do that again. Happy middle of October, everyone. Happy pre-Halloween. Pre-Halloween. Get your spook on. If you haven't started decorating, get it happening. Buy your pumpkin. What are you doing? How are you dressing up? So thank you all so much for listening to our latest episode of Eating After Midnight. If you liked what you heard, please pop on over to iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us on and leave us some stars and a review. You'd also make our day if you could follow us on Instagram at Eating After Midnight Podcast. And if you've got the time, DM us with any questions, comments, complaints, or requests for future reviews. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time, you're going to get old and you will eventually die. So until then, why not eat after midnight? (laughs) 